Our speaker tonight is Dr. Steve, uh, Stephen Greenblatt, the Kogan University Professor of Humanities at Harvard University. He's the general editor of the Norton Anthology of English Literature, as well as the author of 11 books, including The Swerve, How the World Became Modern, Shakespeare's Freedom, and Will in the World, How Shakespeare Became Shakespeare. He's edited seven anthologies of criticism and is founding co-editor of the journal Representations. He's a past president of the Modern Language Association of America and a fellow of some of our most prestigious honorary organizations, including the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, the American Academy of Arts and Letters, and the American Philosophical Society. Dr. Greenblatt holds a PhD from Yale University, and his honors include the uh, 2016 Holberg Prize from the Norwegian Parliament, the 2012 Pulitzer Prize, and for his best-selling book, The Swerve, the 2011 National Book Award. As if that list were not impressive enough, he is also a recipient of the Modern Language Association's James Russell Lowell Prize and the Mellon Foundation's Distinguished Humanist Award. Tonight, Dr. Greenblatt will discuss his latest book, currently a bestseller, The Rise and Fall of Adam and Eve, Our Mutual Ancestors. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Stephen Greenblatt. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, thank you so much for that uh, gracious introduction. Thank you for the opportunity to come back to this magnificent institution uh, and to talk about uh, my book on uh, Adam and Eve. There we go. Uh, it, it is true uh, that there is a book uh, in this. Uh, the, the, um, the challenge was uh, what kind of book uh, might be in this? And the problem for me uh, was not a problem of uh, a lack of material. Uh, the issue in writing the history of the, this little story, which is only about 50 uh, lines long in Genesis, is that uh, the, the body of material is so overwhelming uh, that it was extremely difficult to know how to give it any shape at all. You probably noticed as you walked in, Adam and Eve uh, there to your right. Uh, uh, in uh, the mid-19th century, uh, Thomas Crawford uh, rendition. Uh, and that, we could say, would be one tiny piece of, of uh, uh, hundreds of thousands possibly millions of representations of uh, these figures. Uh, if you uh, add also to the visual representations, also all the textual representations. It's a story that is probably the most important influential uh, imaginative creation, certainly the most important influential short story uh, in all of recorded uh, history. Uh, it was probably written down in the form that we have it in around the sixth century before the Common Era. Uh, in, as you probably, there are two versions of it, and we might talk about this, two versions of it in the Bible. We might talk about that in a bit. But the 
core story, the one that is represented by Crawford over there about the, uh, the, the, the piece of fruit and the act of transgression, almost certainly dated much, much earlier than the 6th century, uh, at least uh, uh, to the 10th century in written form and probably a lot uh, before that. And we now know as a result of, of uh, work that's been done really from the 19th century on that there were uh, that the story also participates in a very rich, complicated, uh, contested history of origin stories in Mesopotamia and that part of the world. But, uh, so that the Hebrews, uh, when they uh, formulated this account, and we have no idea who did it, uh, were almost certainly aware of other competing origin stories. Uh, probably it's fair to say that there were, are always other stories, have always been other stories, probably goes back uh, as far back as humans begin to speculate uh, about themselves. Uh, in any case, the story that we have uh, turned out to be, for uh, many uh, people, the key to understanding everything, uh, all our fears and desires, uh, the dreams of bliss that we have, our deepest sense of shame or embarrassment, uh, our uh, transgressive impulse. Uh, in a tiny compass, it offers to explain why our species uh, is the dominant one, uh, how men and women originated, uh, the nature of love and sex and reproductive desire and male domination, the necessity to labor, pain in childbirth, female desire, um, even, of course, mortality and even uh, the fear of snakes, uh, all in, in this very, very brief compass. Um, Judaism and Christianity and Islam all committed themselves to this one story, uh, a story which is uh, interesting for innumerable reasons, but among other things for the fact that it's, it's monogenetic. It believes that we all uh, descended uh, from a single uh, line uh, of uh, humans, not multiple uh, humans, and actually as a as a scientific intuition, that wasn't bad, since we uh, think some version of that now. Um, Judaism and Islam both embraced the story. Uh, obviously, the Hebrews did uh, in putting it at the beginning of Genesis. Um, but in Judaism and Islam, there's much greater emphasis as a kind of uh, core story of, uh, on the story of Abraham. Abraham and Isaac in the case of the Jews, Abraham and Ishmael in the case of uh, the Muslims. It was in that sense, uh, a, the story of Adam and Eve is absolutely centrally uh, a Christian story. Uh, though the Christians took it uh, from the Hebrew Bible, the Christians made this story uh, crucial to understand. Uh, and they did so uh, for many reasons, but partly because Paul uh, in the Corinthians and also in Romans, refers to Jesus as the new Adam. And uh, it occurred to people very, very early on in the history of Christianity that if Jesus is the new Adam, then it behooves us to understand who the old Adam uh, was. Uh, the uh, trouble is that it's difficult to understand who the old Adam uh, was. And it was easier, in some sense, when the story didn't occupy such a central place as the, as the Christians uh, made it occupy, because for the uh, early 
Hebrew interpreters of the story, there were lots of, of different options and weird speculations, and, uh, speculations about the enormous size of Adam, the possibility that he would have filled this room easily and, in fact, a lot more than this room, uh, or that he might have had a tail uh, that was subsequently removed, or uh, that innumerable ideas of, of his weird uh, qualities uh, of vision, of, of intelligence, uh, and so forth, because you weren't committed to connecting uh, Adam to the new Adam, to Jesus, but by virtue of committing your, themselves uh, to doing so because of Paul, uh, the Christians had to think hard about the reality of the story. And what the story really is telling us is the subject of my book. That to say, when I was hunting around for what the plot of my book could possibly be, the plot effectively is uh, uh, a, I shouldn't tell you this because uh, we'll give it away, but a, a, a long search uh, for, uh, for understanding, for penetrating to the uh, core of reality uh, in the story. But it's difficult because uh, the story, a story about a naked man and woman and a talking snake in a garden with magical trees uh, is not in any obvious way entirely real. Uh, and it was from very early on recognized to have the qualities of a fairy tale uh, or a uh, myth. Um, it was the object of mockery by skeptics, uh, by pagan skeptics, uh, of course, who, are, uh, who used the story to answer uh, the mockery that Jews and Christians had of their, the pagan stories. But uh, pagans pointed out that, that the Jews and Christians had one just as, as ridiculous. Uh, and also uh, anxiety and mockery from within uh, both uh, the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition. Um, the, what did it mean to be made in uh, God's image uh, was a question that was asked uh, from very early on uh, and in troubled ways, um, but more deeply uh, troubled uh, grew from the questions, from paradoxes seem, seemed to be built into the story. Uh, the God of the story tells uh, the, the human in chapter one already of Genesis, that, that uh, he mustn't eat of the fruit of one particular tree uh, lest he die. But he doesn't explain what death is. And very early on it was pointed out that it would be difficult if you had lived in a world without death to know what he was talking about, what the threat actually meant, uh, what the words simply meant. Uh, and then more deeply even still, uh, there is a what we can call the paradox of the prohibition, which is that the God tells the human that the particular tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from which he and then he and she should not eat. But already 2,000 years ago, it was uh, recognized, and probably earlier than 2,000 years ago, as the story is older than that, it was recognized that if you don't know the difference between good and evil, it's extremely difficult to obey a prohibition. Uh, and that uh, far from, how should we say, ending the power of the story is where we probably would have to begin to understand the power of the story. Something about this peculiar uh, 
this peculiar twist, uh, this uh, ethical disturbance uh, in the story is one of the things that seems to have given it uh, its peculiar uh, long, very long life, but not without a fight. There were people, particularly in the Christian tradition, and particularly those who came from Gentile background and who had read their Plato uh, and Aristotle who thought, Why, what do we need this for? Uh, we can have uh, our belief in the Redeemer without being saddled with this uh, irrational Hebrew story. Uh, so particularly a, a, an early bishop named Marcion, born uh, toward the end of the first century of the Common Era, uh, led a very powerful movement trying to get rid of uh, the, the story of Adam and Eve and indeed of the whole uh, Hebraic uh, mythology. But uh, Marcion lost. Uh, he, he lost in the way that you lose those battles by being declared a heretic uh, and by uh, having his uh, theology and his followers persecuted until they finally disappeared. Uh, there were alternatives for sophisticated Jews and pagans, uh, alternatives to try to make sense of the story by, uh, by allegorical, sophisticated allegorical interpretations, by saying as uh, Philo said among the Jews or Origen said among the Christians, obviously there was no tree of the knowledge of good, and there are trees of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, this is a symbol. Uh, there wasn't a garden. There probably weren't original man and woman. These are, are philosophical symbols, uh, and we can align them uh, to the, 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 the more sophisticated, the more subtle, as they imagined it, thinking of the Greeks. Uh, so those positions were uh, actually quite powerful uh, and successful all through uh, the early centuries of the Common Era until they, uh, they ran into a wall, or rather, a, we could say, shifting our metaphor, a train ran over them, uh, uh, namely uh, St. Augustine of Hippo. Uh, St. Augustine was born in 354 uh, and died in... Uh, 430, spent much of his uh, adult life and probably also his uh, youthful life uh, obsessing about the story of Adam and Eve and trying to make sense of it, and trying to think about uh, what, uh, what a believer could make of it. He began very much in the sophisticated tradition of, of uh, the pagans who wanted to distance themselves, I mean of the Gentile, Gentile Christians who wanted to distance themselves uh, from uh, any literal belief in the story. He began by thinking the story was an allegory uh, about human sinfulness, but he persuaded himself uh, for a variety of different reasons, deeply personal reasons, but also theological reasons, uh, that it was crucially important to take the story as literally true. This wasn't the majority position at all. In It was a possible one, but not a majority position in the late uh, fourth and fifth century, but Augustine was a spectacularly impressive both intellectual and uh, institutional player. Uh, and he succeeded in doing something extremely implausible, basically, which was to uh, attach Christian orthodoxy to the belief in the literal truth of the story of Adam and Eve uh, against many, many uh, uh, opponents. Uh, and he did so in order to secure, partly in order to secure uh, several crucial uh, doctrines, most centrally uh, the 
idea of how it is that we transmit our sinfulness from one person to another, from generation to generation. Uh, he argued passionately that it can't be that we're the miserable wretches that we are just by making bad choices, imitating bad models, happening uh, to walk down the wrong street. There has to be something fundamentally wrong with us for it to happen so frequently, so inevitably. Uh, and what was wrong with us, uh, he said, could be explained by the, what he called the doctrine of original sin. Uh, that is to say, something that happened at the very beginning of time. This was not a notion that the Hebrews had and isn't, hasn't, didn't become a notion that the Muslims had either, but uh, centrally that something that the human beings did at the very beginning of it all not only was a catastrophic mistake, but was transmitted uh, to everyone uh, universally uh, who followed, transmitted, as he thought, uh, as sexually. Uh, so that sinfulness, uh, he came up with a, with a startling and, and, as many of his contemporaries thought, monstrous, horrible idea, which was that the way you get the way you are is because of the way you're made by your parents and that you can't avoid it. Uh, you're born this way, sinful. Uh, you're born this way because of the particular nature of human reproduction after the catastrophe that happened in the garden. Uh, and he worked it all out in great and, and rather embarrassing, intimate detail, uh, which I'm happy to share with you if we uh, uh, want. Uh, but it was uh, very much part of a, as they say, it launched um, the, the, West, the world, the Christian world, um, into an effort to make uh, the story uh, seem literally real, without allegory, without an evasion. Uh, so... Uh, because these people were not, uh, how should we say, timid in trying to make the idea, the ideas come true, they, they grappled with all kinds of difficult problems. Um, did Adam name the fish as well as the other animals? How could he have done that? Where did the fish come so he could have seen them and named them? Uh, that, that they, there was a lot of worrying about that. Um, were there mosquitoes? Uh, in paradise. Um, there was a, a late medieval saying, Adam had him, uh, that, that mosquitoes and fleas were already there uh, in, at the beginning of the world. Um, did did um, animals die before the fall? Um, or was, 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 was everything going to live forever? And if so, what would have happened to all those creatures when they reproduced? Where would they have gone to? Uh, so if they died, what happened to the bodies? Was paradise full of corpses, uh, of dead animals? No, said some theologians, they would have crossed the borders and left paradise in order to die so that wouldn't, you wouldn't have had to walk around stepping over bodies of dead animals, uh, and so forth. I mean... What you have to understand is that this is a world of, of high seriousness in terms of taking the literal literally uh, and trying to understand what it actually uh, means. What was the snake's motivation? Um, what, uh, uh, what was the nature of the actual nature of the fruit? Did Adam and Eve have navels? Uh, and so forth and so on. Every conceivable detail had to be uh, brooded and thought about. And what it led to, uh, what it most... Uh, centered on, as you might expect, was questions of, of uh, 
human abjection and shame? How did we get to be the way we are? Uh, and uh, focused on what seemed at least uh, to many to be the natural nature of shame, the fact that, you're, that you automatically want to cover yourselves. Uh, and that's one of the ways in which uh, Christians began to mark themselves out ideologically, theologically, from the pagan world uh, in which their, uh, these, these ideas took uh, hold. That is to say, in the first century, second century, and actually longer of the Christian era, that, that uh, the common era, you would go outside, uh, walk through the streets of Rome, uh, or any uh, a city in the Mediterranean, you'd see many uh, representations of naked men and women. Uh, in, even after, actually, people began at, in the course of the Rome, Roman, uh, late Roman Republican Empire, they actually began to put clothes on in the gymnasium, which they hadn't done in, uh, originally, but they, they began to dress in whatever, uh, gym shorts, uh, but not the statues. The statues were still naked, but Christians began in their representations uh, of humans to emphasize the shame that humans must naturally have, not their, uh, their glorying in their own nakedness. Um, I want to show you the earliest image that I have been able to locate of Adam and Eve, uh, which comes from uh, the catacombs of Saints uh, Marcellino e Paolo uh, in Rome. It's a, one of those catacombs, not in the, uh, the lovely area that you might have visited in, in, um, uh, along the Appian Way uh, or nearby, but in a, 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 a less appealing neighborhood of Rome out by Cinecita, uh on a disagreeable street. Uh, but if you uh, request permission, you can be uh, allowed, well, you can be allowed in on certain hours uh, to this remarkable catacomb uh, where, of course, Courses in most of the catacombs, the little little niches dug for the corpses in the in the tufa uh, along these uh, dimly lit uh, alleys, and then if in the area they called cubiculi, if you had a little bit more money, they didn't put you in one of those uh, niches, but you could be in a little room, and in the room there are paintings, uh, and the paintings are mostly hopeful paintings. That that is uh, Noah coming up like a jack in the box. Uh, out of uh, the ark, the bird. Uh, they're, they're really about, about uh, as you would expect uh, for the people visiting their relatives uh, who have been buried, they're about hope, salvation. Uh, there's, there's uh, uh, I don't know if you can see him, but that's Jonah uh, coming out of the mouth of the, not exactly a whale, uh, the sea creature. Um, but further in the catacomb, and actually sort of in a peculiar, you have to get special permission from the Vatican to, to have it opened into their further gates, and you get to a room which has the earliest, that I know of, the earliest representation of Adam and Eve. Uh, and uh, that is a less hopeful uh, scene. Um, Adam and Eve ashamed uh, and covering themselves, uh, standing by the tree. Uh, I'm sorry for the quality of the pictures. It's actually hard to take pictures down there. Um, and they're, they're there not to give comfort exactly to the, because they're not represented after all as in paradise, but in effect they're there to explain why you're there in the first place. 
that is to say that they've uh, brought precisely death into the world, and they uh, very well should be uh, ashamed. Uh, what, there are many things that are interesting to me about this uh, strange catacomb and the, the representation that I just showed you of, of Adam and Eve. But one thing that's striking is that, the, the, to me, and I don't have a very f entirely adequate explanation for this, but some of you may, is that the, uh, this is a representation from, uh, as they say, quite early on from the second uh, century of the common era. Uh, and either it's a, you think either this is a very mediocre painter, given how painting is being done in this period, or something strange is going on in the representation of the body. Because if you know painting if you, if, that you can see, let's say, in Naples uh, or in Pompeii, that it, it, it doesn't represent the body this way. So one possibility is just they got, a, you know, sort of a, crude artists that do the, uh, these paintings. But I think something else is going on. And I think something else is going on because among the paintings down there, one of the strangest ones and interesting ones is this, which is a representation from the back, again, I don't have a very good picture of it, of one of the workmen who's been down there digging in the tufa. So uh, he has his back to you. You can see that there's a lamp hanging on a hook, and he's holding a kind of pickaxe. And uh, though, I, as I say, it was difficult to get a decent picture of this, the painting is much more naturalistic uh, than the painting of Adam and Eve. Uh, it, that is to say, it was possible uh, in this catacomb uh, to continue, in effect, the, the, what was the, the tradition of more or less naturalistic representation of the human body uh, in this period, but they chose not to when they depicted the bodies of Adam and Eva, for that matter, uh, the other figures, they chose to do something to the body to mark it off, in effect, from the way pagans were representing their uh, bodies. And that uh, leads, in effect, to a long history, a history of representing the body uh, in abjection or shame uh, that connects to this ancient uh, story and, and helps uh, to uh, account for something that I can't obviously uh, describe to you in, in uh, dizzying detail, but for a very long history of, of altering the, the, uh, the representation, the figuration of the human body under the mark of what Adam and Eve did. So, uh, one uh, celebrated example here from the Hildesheim doors in Germany from the 11th century would be this remarkable depiction uh, of Adam and Eve uh, and the serpent in their moment of, of uh, mutual uh, blame, uh, the uh, God uh, pointing uh, and asking, uh, in effect, pointing the finger and asking for who was responsible, pointing the finger at Adam, Adam reaching under his arm and pointing <laughs> to Eve, uh, and then Eve bending over and pointing to uh, that uh, rather strange-looking serpent who has not yet lost his legs, uh, or I guess it looks more like a, a, a chicken at this point. Uh, <laughs> but the the the, and, uh, the the gesture of blame goes across that that tree. <clears throat> uh, but 
what among men, and the, and the very, very strange, marvelous representation of the way in which the end of the serpent seems to go between uh, Eve's legs. Uh, but what is fascinating to me is the extent to which we've moved away from you have a kind of you have a kind of problem, which is that that you have a theology, a theology of Saint Augustine that insists on taking the story literally, understanding that this is not symbolic; these are real people and in real time and in a real event. Uh, and then you have a very long, very complex and rich history of representation that that actually is not by any means far from uh, attached to what looks like naturalistic representation of people. Uh, that the, the, These figures, I think it's fair to say, not the God, interestingly, but the, the figure of God or Jesus, but the figure of the human beings, in many ways, especially the female, I think, calls attention to some symbolic alteration of the body to indicate that it is something symbolic about the abject body, the, sh the body in shame, that is distinct from the way in which we uh, represent, uh, normally expect to represent the body. Another example of it <clears throat> here from um, an illuminated manuscript but, uh, from this one uh, from the 15th century, but it's part of a long tradition of doing this. Uh, this is from Peter Comestus. Most people in, who encountered the Bible encountered it in works like Peter Comestus' history rather than in the Bible itself. This is an illumination of, of the creation of Eve. And not only do we have Adam's uh, strange sort of uh, collapsed, flaccid body, but we have Eve who is at this point just a rib uh, with a little head like a puppet uh, on it. Uh, that that uh, that's enough, as it were. That's enough of a way of representing this uh, uh, strange uh, event of the creation uh, of the woman from the bone side of the man. It may actually allude to a theological problem. Uh, there is a early speculation that that God uh, first created the woman with. Uh, the, the, it's a question that was asked by the ancient. Uh, interpreters, why did God make the man go to sleep? Uh, the Bible says uh, that God put the human to sleep when he took out the rib. And the, there are always these stories people take, had to run with them, but in this case, uh, the run was, was uh, that he, there was a first attempt in which he, God didn't put Adam to sleep. Uh, he, he just he numbed the pain but kept Adam awake. And Adam watched the whole thing happen and was so disgusted that he was by the internal organs of Eve that he wasn't able to make love to Eve. God had to destroy the first attempt and do the second one, putting him asleep uh, and then uh, taking the uh, rib out and creating him again. Um, okay. So this is immense history, very complex, very rich, that has to do with, with uh, symbolic representation of shame in the body. And then you get glimpses along the way, but only periodic glimpses through the late antiquity and the Middle Ages of an alternative. Uh, even, though, uh, even though there's the theological claim that we must take this story literally, but you do get something spectacular like this in the 12th century from Autun in France uh, by the 
sculptor named Gisalbertus, where uh, the body is not, the body of uh, Eve is not naturalistically rep uh, rendered, but is, how should we say, more obviously powerful, convincing in the claim, as it were, that she's making upon us. The appeal, uh, uh, the complexity of her, of who she is, of what she's feeling, the difficulty, in fact, uh, which is part of the thing of figuring out what it is that she's feeling and thinking, uh, and and also simply of the of the allure of her body uh, that is marking a uh, an alternative, uh, a shift, the beginnings of some shift away from uh, the exclusive representation of the body as bent over uh, in disgrace, uh, and this thinking about uh, the possibility of representing the body in its claim, physical claim upon uh, you, uh, the viewer, reached uh, a, a new and radical level uh, with uh, the development of a number of different developments of, of uh, um, artistic representation in the Renaissance. Uh, most famously for purposes also with just extreme compression uh, of Masaccio's uh, famous fresco in the uh, Church of the Carmine uh, in Florence, uh, where uh, Adam and Eve now seem to exist in space, uh, and they cast shadows, uh, and they're uh, moving out across, uh, out of a doorway and out into a, a harsh world, and in which uh, perhaps above all, uh, their gestures uh, convey uh, in a more powerful, more convincing, naturalistically convincing way uh, what it must feel like inside to be them uh, and to be driven out. Uh, and their bodies represent in a more convincing and pers persuasive way their extreme vulnerability, uh, a vulnerability uh, that, uh, that in effect centers on on the exposed genitals of, uh, of Adam, who's not uh, covering himself in, in, his, uh, in his misery. Uh, and is, is uh, actually, this is an extraordinary gesture because it is, uh, those of you who remember anything from the Bible's account know that Adam was not naked at that point. He was uh, dressed first, covered himself first with a fig leaf, and then dressed in skins. Uh, before the expulsion uh, by God. But Masaccio wants to represent him now in radical nakedness, radical exposure, uh, and uh, as he's being driven out uh, from bliss into the harshness of the world. And then uh, uh, one uh, maybe climactic image uh, of this, this extraordinary uh, achievement of Renaissance art, which was to make good on the, on the f strange fourth century insistence on Augusta, of Augustine that we take the story as literally true. This famous image from 1504 uh, by Albrecht Dürer, a copper plate engraving uh, of Adam and Eve, in which uh, you're catching them uh, as if with a camera with a very fast shutter speed at the moment just before it all changes, uh, so that they're still 
perfectly innocent, perfectly beautiful. Uh, they're, they look like they're covering themselves, but they're not. It's just uh, the accident of how Eve is holding the uh, piece of fruit uh, in her hand uh, and how Adam is standing behind a little branch that's coming out from the tree. They, they don't, that, that's to protect us, the viewers, who have, after all, fallen from what we might otherwise see, but it's not, to, it's not because they're ashamed, uh, but they're about to uh, make the fatal uh, decision, the fatal move. Uh, you're catching them just before, and you're catching them because Albrecht Durer, it says up here, was here and was making this uh, in 1504. So he happened to have been here and left his sign uh, up here, uh, which is also good in terms of, of uh, how should we say, in terms of his fame and sales. Uh, but it's, a, it's as if he is making a claim that he actually caught this moment, this moment just uh, when they were absolutely real. They are, are, uh, they are uh, the, the perfect creatures from whom we descended, but they're just about to turn into what uh, we've become. And the, 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 the mouse, which is right here, and Adam is lightly... Uh, seems to be stepping on the mouse's tail, and the cat who's sleepily looking at the mouse, they're about to be in a different relation to one another in uh, 30 seconds. Uh, this is a world that is caught in the moment of, of the not quite yet just about to change. Um, and it, it, it becomes, in the extremely wide circulation of this famous image, it becomes for thousands of people uh, the kind of quintessential vision of what our ancestors actually uh, were like. Well, the, <clears throat> the subject of my book is simply, um, or the, the, the message of my book is be careful uh, about getting what you really uh, think you want. Uh, Augustine wanted Adam and Eve to be real. The Renaissance made Adam and Eve real. The great Renaissance artists succeeded in doing this startlingly. Uh, and also, uh, in the 17th century, the greatest English poet, John Milton, uh, gave Adam and Eve a relationship, made them a marriage uh, in the most delicious and wonderful way imaginable. But the, it turns out that making them real uh, is a fantastic burden to the story. It was always possible when the story wasn't quite real to find some escape patch. But starting really in the 15th century, the reality that, that was the theological dream of Adam and Eve begins to uh, run into trouble. It runs into trouble partly because after 1492, Europeans are encountering millions of people who don't seem to be ashamed of their bodies and aren't covering their genitals as if they hadn't actually heard the story, but it's supposed to be a natural part of, of human life. It becomes a problem because people begin to worry about where so many people in the world come from, so many cultures in the world come from, as Europeans begin to fan out around the globe uh, and begin to encounter other stories, other accounts of human origins. It runs into trouble because people begin to worry about the nature of language, and they begin to look into the body uh, and think about the nature of the human body and the relationship of the human body to other bodies. Um, they still hold on to the Adam and Eve story for as long as they possibly can. I'll give you one image of this from uh, engraving by Willem Svanendorg uh, from the Anatomy Theater at Leiden. Uh, this, I don't know if you can see it. Unfortunately, this is not a, not a very clear slide. Uh, 
but this is an anatomy theater. It was a famous one from about 1610 in Leiden. Uh, people could stand around in these places and watch uh, a, uh, in the medical school in Leiden, watch uh, bodies being, um, uh, being dis the bodies of the dead uh, being uh, displayed and studied. Uh, but here, I don't know if you can see, there's a, there's a sculpture, there's a, a skeletons rather, of Adam and Eve standing around a tree. So they're erected here. And then here there are lots of skeletons of other creatures. So we're thinking, in effect, we're encouraged to think about comparative anatomy, about the relationship of the human skeleton to the skeletons of other creatures. And we're doing something that, after all, uh, anatomies were uh, absolutely forbidden for a very long period of time, uh, for, for centuries. So this is an act, indeed, and much of Europe still would have been forbidden. But this is a very good medical school in the early 17th century in Leiden. Uh, so we're beginning to open up the body, do the thing that, that uh, the, the ancient rabbis said disgusted Adam so much that he couldn't sleep with Eve. We're beginning to look at the insides of human beings and try to understand their structures. And these pe people are still trying to hold on to uh, to the biblical story, but you're watching a, a, uh, an image that conveys a whole complex story about the beginnings of, of uh, uh, increasing uh, tension between science and, uh, and theology, uh, as if the two plates uh, of si uh, were under immense uh, seismic pressure and they will eventually rupture. And they'll rupture in, in, in two different directions, as it were. One direction will be toward an increasing emphasis on the human nature of Adam and Eve. And the great figure, as I've already said for this, is Milton, thinking Milton finally tries to justify uh, God to man, but basically is writing a celebration of what it is to be human after the fall, uh, what it is to have made the choice that that Adam makes to stay with Eve, and uh, what, for that matter, Eve makes to, to choose knowledge over obedience. Uh, and you begin to think about the tragic nature of, of human beings, and maybe the most powerful representation of it in the visual arts is this uh, astonishing, disturbing uh, Rembrandt, uh, Adam and Eve, where uh, you feel the, uh, in the what appears to be the instant of the choice, you already feel the force of time, of uh, decay, of the way the human body actually looks uh, when it's not perfect, uh, when it feels the, the full weight of the, life, the lives that we live uh, in the world. And uh, it, Rembrandt is entering into a, how should we say, a space of, of deep empathy uh, into the human condition uh, that of a kind that goes far uh, in, in a far different direction from the theological doctrine of original sin. Uh, so it pulls, part pulls in that direction, part pulls in the direction of scientific representations of the human body, uh, including these uh, 18th century Ercole Lely wax figures. Uh, I, I could show you many more. Uh, of wax figures that come out in effect of the anatomical tradition. This, in this case, I'm 
treating you to ones of the whole body, but then these bodies open up and you can see all kinds of, of things underneath them. This is part of a whole, and those of you who know what the wax figures, there are fa famous wax figures from Italy, but, but uh, it's the whole world that would lead, let's say, that would lead to the, to the attempt in, in, even in, in the glass flowers in the Harvard, uh, uh, in the Peabody Museum to represent uh, organic things in perfectly stilled form so you could study them. Um, and then that scientific tradition, which leads away uh, from, the, uh, from the, the, the biblical story, uh, leads finally into the world that we live in now, into the 19th century, uh, first of all, uh, and to the figure of Darwin, uh, who basically uh, nailed the uh, coffin uh, of Adam and Eve and uh, instead gave us an origin story uh, that is this one. Uh, and that's where my own uh, book ends, uh, with a trip that I took to Uganda to uh, look at chimpanzees out of the uh, intense desire to see what it actually looked like, what paradise was like, uh, what it looked like not to have a knowledge of good and evil uh, or to be haunted by an awareness of mortality. Um, and it, it's, it's a complicated sight, uh, but it's a sight that gives us, uh, gives us a lot, but it doesn't give us some of the things that the Adam and Eve story continue to give us. Above all, it doesn't give us a very adequate account of human choice and responsibility. Uh, the, 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 uh, the story of evolutionary biology has had, up till now, we'll have to come back and have this conversation at the Boston Athenaeum in a century, uh, but until this point it has actually not been able adequately to address the question that is at the very center of the Adam and Eve story, which is a question of, of choice, of why we choose to do what we do, why we would choose knowledge uh, against the prohibition, uh, and uh, why we, we need to accept, uh, the, accept responsibility for making the world the way it is, because that's also at the center of the Adam and Eve story. The world as it now is uh, according to the biblical story is as a result of what the humans did. And it seemed for a long period of time, certainly in Darwin's world, as if that was maybe the craziest thing that the Adam and Eve story was claiming, that the way the world was was because of the way humans are. But actually the Adam and Eve story is closer, I think, to what many of us feel uh, now about our world, that it's the consequence of human choices. Uh, than the scientific story of the 19th century. And for that reason and for many other reasons, I still cling uh, to the power and beauty and strangeness uh, and terror uh, of the biblical story of Adam and Eve. Well, thank you, and I'm happy to take your questions. <laughs>